Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com, the best podcast dedicated to the Arsenal women's team because it's the only podcast dedicated to the Arsenal women's team, so we can say that with absolute authority and confidence. This is um, a slightly different episode, I think it's fair to say, this month, and uh, I will introduce our guests momentarily, but this is something Pippa and I have been talking about since the summer, really. Um, that we really, really wanted to get right and an important conversation. And we felt that this podcast was a really good space to do that. Um, and we felt as well that our listeners would be really receptive to that as well. So um, we're actually going to be talking about representation of black women um, in sports journalism. Um, now, obviously, I'm not qualified to talk about that. So I'm going to introduce our guests. Obviously, as always, our, co-pre- our co-presenter, rather, uh, Pippa Monique. Pippa, thanks for joining us again. As always, it's good. This is going to be a good conversation, I reckon. And we've got some really good participants in the conversation as well, which I'm sure you'll introduce next. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've also got um, sports journalist and broadcaster Anne-Marie Batson. Anne-Marie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the invite. And also completing our lineup, we have uh, another sports journalism and broadcaster, Natasha Henry. I almost said Henri there because I was freezing your name off the screen. And being an Arsenal <laughs> fan, when I see Henry, like automatically Henri wants to come out of my mouth. But uh, Natasha Henry, thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks for inviting me. And don't worry, I'm used to that. I get a lot of Henri's. <laughs> That's all good. Um, so, like I said, we're going we're gonna to have a discussion then about... Um, specifically about um, black women um, and sports journalism and, and representation in the industry. And, and Pippa, this is a question I'm going to ask all, to all of you, but Pippa, I'm going to start with you, uh, co-host privileges. Um, and I've, I guess a fairly direct question um, to start off. Like, to what extent, if at all, do you think that being a black woman um, has been a barrier to you breaking into uh, this quote-unquote industry? It's hard to answer that one because a majority of the time you're led to believe that it's like a, it's a mental thing and it's just all in your head, although everything's there in front of you to say that maybe this is the reason why uh, black women are not getting certain opportunities. It's a battle, really. Well, for me personally, it's been, is it all in my head or, or, is, or am I underqualified? I'm not quite sure. But it's hard when there's not that much representation. There is now slowly, <laughs> sorry about the noise, <laughs> slowly coming through, there is more representation, um, but still... You, you start to think, is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm black? It's hard for women, first of all, to get into to any male-dominated environment. So it's a battle really between my mind and matter, really. 
And uh, Natasha, if I throw that open to you, um, do, do you think, like, have you ever felt like, have there been occasions or, or more than occasions where you felt like being a black woman um, has been a barrier to you kind of breaking into this career? Um, I, I'll agree with what Pippa said. <laughs> it is very much a, a question sometimes you're like, am I imagining things? Um, is this an issue? Or, sorry, or um, is it because I'm female or because I'm black? Um, I've had positive and negative. I think I've got some of opportunities because I am a black female and people want to tick a box on a quota. But there's definitely been situations where people have prejudged me or had opinions of me because of my heritage, because of my gender, before they've even read my work. Or they've tried to use it against me because they disagree with what I've said. And on occasions you, you reference there, sometimes you feel like you've been given opportunities to quote unquote tick a box. Has has that how, you know, what I guess what form does that take and how has that made you feel? Um, I, I think it's companies um, trying to show that what they say in their, their press releases and in, in their we're diverse um, proclamations that they want to prove it by employing someone that looks like me or looks like Pippa or Anne-Marie. Um, I hated it. I hated feeling like I just got the job because of how I look or because of my heritage rather than because what I can do. Um, no one, we, no one wants to be given a job just because of their skin color or, or their gender or, you know, their physical self. They want to get the job because they're good enough at doing the job. And when you feel like you haven't been given a job for the right reasons, it, it's damaging to you. It makes you start to think, am I really good enough? Can I really do this? And will I get the opportunities based on, on my talents rather than because of who I am? Anne-Marie, does, does any of that resonate with you or, or have things been different for you? They resonate on both fronts, really. Both what Pippa said, is it a mental thing? Is it having that mindset of, of someone approaching you for a job? Are they asking you, leading to what Natasha said, are they asking you because they believe in your ability and your talent or asking you because they want to tick a box? And, and that is a question that I've had to ask myself on a couple of occasions. And I'd like to think, trying to be positive and staying upbeat, that they're asking me because they see something, they like my ability, they like my knowledge, they've seen my skills and they want to hire me to do a job and deliver that job to the best of my ability. When I started working in this industry, I cannot tell you how many people who've worked within the industry told me, don't do it hmm. because you're going to face a couple of hurdles. And that's being polite because they used far stronger language. They told me about first off, like Pippa said, you're a woman first and foremost. That's the hmm. first hurdle. The second hurdle is that you're a black woman. So you've got two hurdles even before you've really started and the third hurdle is actually been taken seriously. And you're kind of thinking, goodness, all these barriers in front of me, can I do it? Can I make it? So that's always been kind of in the back of my mind. I think I've been slightly lucky in the sense that I've worked in an industry beforehand that was very male dom dominated, very white. That kind of hardened me beforehand to be prepared, to be ready. But those two things of, yes, you're a woman in your W, you're a black woman. That, mm constantly sits in my mind and as I said I tr as I try and be upbeat and positive about it I do like Natasha said I want someone to employ me because of my ability and my experience and my knowledge and that is it if they're looking to tick a box then please don't come to me because mm. that's the wrong way to go about it um, 
But yeah, it's, it's been an interesting few months to say the least about just a bit of soul searching within myself, um, but also within the wide industry too. Thanks for that, um, Anne-Marie. And, and obviously we'll, we'll talk um, a little bit later about, you know, whether things have changed specifically since since the summer and the, the real mainstreaming, I think, of the Black Lives Matter movement. But Pippa, I'm going to come back to you. Um, and, you know, you spoke about, you know, are things in my head or is it because I'm underqualified? And, and I, I want to dig into that a little bit, I guess. And like, um, you know, you, you seem to be hinting that you, you think you're kind of experiencing some kind of barrier. Um, and do you think that that is um, a conscious barrier that someone is erecting? Or do you think it is an unconscious barrier? And I guess, um, or, or has it been more brazen than that? I, and, and does it really matter? Um, you know, do, do you get the impression that people are kind of unknowingly emitting these kind of micro behaviors uh, towards you because you're a black woman? Or do you think it's it's more conscious than that? Like what form do you think that, that, that this is taking when, when you think about this stuff? I'll be honest with you. I'll, I'll, some of it hasn't been micro. I think the ones within peers amongst myself has has had the little microaggressions or even some friends of mine will, will say to me, you know, you could have all the knowledge of football, but you're probably not going to get on TV because you're a black woman. And if they're going to get a black woman, it will be a lighter skinned black woman. Like that's when colorism comes into it. And they'll say it's probably mm-hmm. going to be someone that's this skin tone and not yours. And you think to yourself, but why? Because I've, I've got the skills. But it's not all, all negative because I have, to, I have to say one of my first paid and longest paid jobs within media was by a black owned business. And that's AFTV, Robbie Lyle. So there mm-hmm. is some positives when, when you have people in that position that can employ black people, they do it. Um, but then there's other scenarios which is not micro I went to a very big broadcaster who I will not name Um, they headhunted me invited me in for an interview a conversation Um, and they said to me you know it's not normally the type of person we'll put in front of camera we normally go for blonde women in cocktail dresses and that is what they said to me (laughs) and I remember at that moment thinking how do I react to this what what exactly am I supposed to say like at that point I didn't even want to work there I didn't actually care what happened after that meeting um because I just thought this is ridiculous um but it's it's not always micro sometimes people say it how it is um but I've just learned to deal with it and just do things in my own way and like I said I've been put on a platform that's put me out to a very big audience to see that I I am qualified and Mm. do know what I'm talking about and so it's just it's just all about I feel like it's all about who's at the top sometimes to, to help you get in. Yeah. And you, you mentioned Robbie Lyle there. Is, is that something, um, you know, when you, you started to work for AFTV, is that something you ever actually explicitly spoke about um, with him or, um, or or was it just a case of um, no, come and work for us? And it never came up. Did, did he ever mention the fact that, um, you know, I, I want to give an opportunity um, you know, to, to particularly to a black woman, um, or or did it just never come up? No, it definitely came up when I first met him. It was years ago, and he was looking to like expand, not massively, but you know, get another presenter in. And he said it's amazing that he he said he got lucky that he found a woman that's into football um, and a black woman at that. But he said because he never thought he would. He, he honestly didn't think that there would be because, like I said, there's no representation. He didn't think there would mm. be someone out there that's willing to be on YouTube and openly talk about a team with knowledge um so he definitely came up within one of the first instances um and i think that's something he's proud of as well yeah yeah rightly so um natasha i'll come to you then and you know pippa spoke about you know uh, 
like I think that's a pretty harrowing story. Um, you know, someone saying we usually hire a blonde woman in a cocktail dress, not just to think that, but to say it um, and to think it's OK to say that, um, you know, without getting like too salacious. Have you ever had like a similar professional experience or an experience where you've thought, I, I think I've been overlooked here because um, I'm, I'm a black woman? Um, and again, do you think that it's been unconscious or conscious and, and does it matter? Um, I, I think it can be both unconscious and conscious. I think the unconscious is they're surprised that me, Amory, Pippa, one, like football, know what we're talking about. Um, not just know what we're talking about, as in we watch one game a week, as in we're the sort of people that sit down and watch 20, 30 hours of football every week. Yeah. And as as a black woman, as a woman anyway, you have to work an extra 25, 30% to get that opportunity. Um, there is the whole kind of, oh, was your dad a footballer? Was your brother a footballer? Because clearly that's the only way a black girl would be interested in football. Um, it, it's, I think the bravery, some people are very brave and I kind of respect the honesty because at least then I know what you really think of me. Um, mm -hmm. Although Pippa's experience was awful, at least she knew who these people were and then she could make a decision based on that. Um, one particular company who I used to work for regularly and it got to the point, I was already starting to feel like I was their ism girl, you know, racism, sexism. Let's give Tasha a call. And it was when my granddad said to me one day, he was like, Tash, how come they only call you when, when it's to talk about something like that? And I had to sit there and, and really think about that and be like, he's right. They don't mm. call me to come on and talk about how good Arsenal were or, or Lewis Hamilton, because I do motorsport as well. They only wanted me on their screen when it was to talk about racism or sexism, which to me said how they saw me as a sports journalist, that they didn't at all. They just saw me as someone who could tick a quota and make them look like they were paying attention to an issue. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it's got easier, but it's nowhere near fast enough for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, to, to be frank, that's another discussion Pippa and I had about about doing this, you know, um, exactly what you're saying, not just getting people on to, oh, let's talk about racism. Um, you know, obviously, like, like that's the subject of the podcast, but that's something we wanted to broach um, as well, like like really honestly and, and, and really upfront. And, uh, and and that's certainly like something that I think everyone listening and myself and everyone should take away. Um, Amory, um, Pippa was talking quite a bit there about kind of, uh, I guess, role models and a lack of role models. Um, you know, covering women's football, uh, one of the one of the, like the popular phrases we often see is "can't see, can't be." Um, it's like a, a bit of a, a, a kind of catchphrase, and specifically about for young girls playing football. Um, you know, and that's that they talk about that in gender terms. When you were kind of looking or when you decided to try and make your way in this industry, were there kind of uh, black female role models for you? If so, who were they? Um, and I, I guess like um, I want to get to how important, um, if at all, uh, having kind of role models is in, in this scenario. It's a really good question, actually, about the role model side of things. But I'll answer you the first question. There wasn't any black female role models in the journalism industry when I was starting to think about it. I mean, I've been thinking about working in this industry since I was a little girl. So even then, you know, for me, when I was watching Grandstand, it would be Helen Rollison. She was from Essex. I'm from Essex. Big up Essex. 
Um, so, you know, she was a person I would, you know, admire her work and follow her work. And it was a tragedy that, you know, she left this earth early because of cancer. But she was somebody that I followed. And then getting older, it was more, you know, in terms of black form models within sport, it was athletes. People like Denise Lewis, Tessa Sanderson, they were the only faces that I could see that identified as, as, as black women. So in terms of sporting journalism, broadcasting, the answer is, is no, not really, not un, until, you know, 10 years ago when, you know, we started to see people making their breakthroughs like Jess Crichton, like Natasha Henry. That's when it started to, you know, Mimi Farwaz on BBC Africa. That's when it started for me, really and truly. And it's funny, when I'm reading interviews from various people, women, actually, and they talk about who their role models are, they talk about Claire Balding, they talk about Gabby Logan. But for me, it wasn't, I didn't have that. I didn't see mm. them as role models. I saw them as people doing their jobs. Um, so for me, that idea of role model, yes, it's great to, to be seen. But for me, I think the most important role model you can be is be yourself be your own role model. It's great that, you know, people can inspire you, but you've got to inspire yourself as well and mm. believe in your ability and believe in your skills and your knowledge. I don't want to look at somebody and think, well, yeah, they've got a job that's great and they're doing what I want to do, but I believe in me rather than believing in someone else, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's, um, that's, that's a really worthwhile thought, um, Anne-Marie, about kind of, um, I guess, like self-empowerment like that and 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 pippa um you know you 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 spoke about um i guess a lack of role models um or a lack of people who who essentially looked like you um in terms of um in terms of trying to break into this industry do you um do you ever consider yourself a role model um you know when you get in front of the camera for for aftv or the stuff you're doing for barclays um does that does like the thought of inspiring either other young women, uh, other young black women, does that ever explicitly cross your mind while you're doing this? Or, and, you know, I speak to women footballers about this all the time, you know, this pressure of being a role model. And sometimes I ask them, do you ever just wish that you could just like do your job and go home? Like, like, you know, like male footballers can without this additional, oh, I've got to be a role model pressure. Like, does that ever like um, cross your mind, like influencing others? If I'm honest with you, it never, ever crossed my mind. Only until recently when people were interacting with me a lot more on social media. So I would often still do get messages from women, um, either older women that have young daughters or even sons, actually, um, that always message me saying how much I inspire them to to break barriers or just to, to enjoy what they do um, and, and just go for it head front. So I never used to, but recently I've realised that, oh, I do have some type of influence on young girls in particular that want to break into this industry and young black girls as well, because now they, although I haven't made it yet, I'm I'm doing something that they look at and think, wow, if she can do it, then I can do something too, Mm. which is great. What what about you, Natasha? Do you ever uh, consider yourself a role model when you're doing a job? Um, When I started out, no, it was was never a consideration for me. like Amory mentioned before, Jess Crichton and Sam Johnson, it was pretty much us three 10 years ago um, doing um, football media, sports media. So I didn't. Um, now I do. And not necessarily a role model, but an example. Just if you see it, you can be it. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not at the top of where I want to be or I haven't achieved everything I want to achieve. But, you know, 
I know 15-year-old me would have loved to have seen a me, a Pippa, an Anne-Marie, a Jess, and been like, I can do this job rather than someone like me who waited until their late 20s where they had the confidence and the self-belief in the a personal self-belief to be able to go and take these opportunities. Not everyone's vocal about being a role model, but I think mm. if you're doing your job and showing that you can do it on a on a national, international scale, you're automatically a role model. You know, that 10-year-old girl that wants to, to make TV shows and talk about sport is going to look at you and think, Mommy, she's she's got the same hair as me. She she's got the same skin color as me. You know, my dad's weird story. I used to do drama. My dad loves to bring up this story. I said to him one day, I'll never be in Coronation Street because there's no black people in Coronation Street. I must have been about seven or eight. And mm. our industry is is very much that now. You know, there's a lot of kids, girls and boys of color, Asian, black, Chinese, who are watching things and they don't see anyone that looks like them. So because they don't believe they can do that, it, it stops them from trying. They may go on to become the next Gary Lineker, the next Claire Baldwin, but because they can't, they're not seeing themselves represented on, on screen. They don't believe they can. So they don't try, you know, the, I think one of the, the beauties of, of people like us, the three of us in this chat and lots of other people we know is that, we're helping people, you know, act on their dreams. I think, you know, it sounds very cheesy and cliched and, and I'm not trying to make out like we're, we're wonderful people, but if them seeing us means they get up and think, I want to go and be a broadcaster, I want to go and be a reporter, I want to go and be a scout or whatever it is, if that's what us doing our job is doing for them, then, you know, that's, that's better than going to football and, and watching a game for free for me, 100%. And using um, that word example, Tasha, is, is a brilliant way to describe it. And I think an example, I think that's exactly what yeah. it is. That's absolutely perfect. Yeah. You know I'm, I'm, I'm going to, so I'm going to chime in there because I forgot to mention, because I always wanted to be a newsreader and I lost faith of that for that same reason. And it was actually Jessica Crichton. I saw, I was watching the FA Cup final with my dad and my dad was like, who's that lady? Because he thinks I just know everyone. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know, <laughs> but she's black and she has braids and she's reporting on the FA Cup final. And I was like, oh my gosh, I believe again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's 100% what it is. I mean, my mum, my especially when I started out, would get so excited. As obviously, I know like Jess and Sam, but any person of colour doing sport, I get messages from my mum or family. Oh my God, did you see so-and-so? Because it was so rare 10 years ago. I mean, we're very lucky. You know, we have a group of girls that we all chat we're all in the industry. I think that makes it easier. But for the ones coming up, you know, I love, I met a young girl the other day who's, who's trying to be a presenter in motorsport. And I said to her, I wish I had her confidence at her age, 21. And she has that, she admitted she has that confidence, not only because of her family and her self-belief, but because she's seen other people that look like her, dark skinned black girls presenting sport, you know, girls with natural hair, girls with, you don't have to fit this so-called societal view of what a newsreader looks like or a presenter looks like. But she admitted that by seeing people that look like her, she knew she could do it. And, and that's what it should be about, really. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One of the, one of the things, um, Pippa, that you said um, that, 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 you know, I, I guess shocked me, um, you know, when you spoke about um, not seeing like black news readers and therefore just kind of giving up on, on the idea of, of ever doing it. And Natasha, you spoke about, um, you know, when you were seven or eight talking about the lack of representation on Coronation Street. And, and I guess that's, that's quite shocking that at that age, you're already like really like consciously aware of it to the point that you talk about it. Um, and I guess one of the things I really wanted to surface in this discussion is how much of this is insidious and unconscious and how much is conscious. But it sounds like to me, um, if I throw this open to you, Natasha, first, that this is something you're really conscious of from 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 what you're saying from a very early age. Um, I think for me, it, it's very much about your upbringing. I would say that's that would decide how aware you are of, of your heritage, your race and your situation. Um, my parents were very much like, you know, you you are a black girl. Life's going to be a bit harder, but don't let no one you can't. Don't let no one tell you you can't do anything. So I, I was always very aware of it. Unfortunately, you know, kids should be kids and we shouldn't have to worry about these kind of things. But I do think you you have to be aware of it. You have to be conscious that not everyone is going to treat you the same because you have a different skin color or because you, you have a different gender from them. Um, part of me wishes I wasn't so aware of it. Mm. Uh I definitely found myself being very angry this year just about life in general, society in general. And that anger came up again with the whole Anton Ferdinand documentary this weekend. And sometimes I wish I wasn't so aware or conscious of these issues. But the good thing is, because I am aware of them, because I'm conscious of them, it allows me to try and change them, to not ignore them, to call them out and hopefully being a very vocal person, I can use my voice. Not everyone is as vocal as me. They may agree with what I'm saying, but it's not everyone's responsibility to talk about it. Me, I'm the person that wants to say something. So, mm. you know, that's, I guess that's the cross I have to bear. And um, I, I, I kind of, um, Anne-Marie, want to move this on a little bit um, to, to talk about uh, women's football. Um, because this is a women's football podcast and, and all of us have um, some or a lot of experience of covering like WSL and, and other women's sports as well. Um, and one, one of the questions um, I think that we don't ask enough in women's football, um, we'll come on to like the press box in a minute, but is on the pitch. Um, and, you know, thinking of Arsenal, for example, when Dan Carter left Arsenal this summer, there are now no black players in the Arsenal squad. 
Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that's because there is a problem with Arsenal. Maybe there is, I don't know. But um, there, there seems to be, when you compare to men's football, there seems to be like much less representation of, of black women playing football. And, you know, I think women's football is often seen as this very, very inclusive environment, but we still have things like the Renee Hector um, incident um, where, you know, she she was racially abused on the pitch and we've had other incidents like that. And one of the arguments I've seen put forward for the the, the kind of the lack of black women players is almost like a social mobility argument because there aren't many women's football clubs around. So you need to, uh, you, know, you know, you need to be in a family that has a car. Uh, for example, to be able to go and drive to training and and it's it's more of a class thing um, but actually, I think there are quite a lot of white working class girls in uh in women 's football i don 't know maybe they 're just lucky what like what do you think is the reason behind um there being so like so much fewer black women footballers compared to black men it 's a great question, and i 'm not sure that I have the answer to it to be honest with you, Tim, because I think it 's a it's a complex question to answer. I think there are a number of factors. You mentioned about the social economic, the lack of uh, accessibility to training centres. Nikita Paris talked about how uh, Mo Marley's husband would drive her back and forth to training sessions because um, Nikita's mum didn't own a vehicle, didn't have a car. Um, so she would rely on lifts to get her to where she needed to be to do her training sessions. And I think, you know, I do think the social economic side of it is a big factor. And then, you know, I hadn't really, I've got to be honest, I was a little naive because I hadn't really noticed it until Dan Carter left as an example. And then somebody actually pointed out to me earlier this year about the Lionesses, about Demi Stokes and Nikita Paris. And I was like, oh, yeah, because I remember seeing the Lionesses of those days of Alex Scott, Eddie Nuko, Rachel Yankee, and various others. And then it did suddenly dawn on me that there was a lack of black faces within the squad. So has this been happening over a period of time? And it's only now that it's like, oh, goodness, that the seeds were sown a few years ago and now it's coming home to roost, mm. so to speak. And is it about the lack of accessibility of training centres? Is it the social and economic side? Is it because... And I know people who work at the FA and, and, and they are good people, but maybe it's because there's been a lack of investment in grassroots, which we can debate all day about. Mm. So I don't know. I don't think there is a one answer for your question, because I think it's a very, very complex question to answer. I think there's a number of reasons. If I had the answers, I wish I could tell you, because then I think I'd love to solve the problem. Um, we talked about role models that word of being an example, if we want to encourage more black girls and mixed race girls to get involved in the game, they need to see it. It's, it's a tough one to answer. Natasha, um, can I bring you in, in, in on that one? Yeah, um, Anne-Marie's completely right that it's, it's, a, it's an answer that has so, many, so much nuance to it and then so many points. I, I suspect there's definitely a cultural um, aspect of why there is so few black female footballers I don't think it is seen as a pathway in terms of what you want to do um not just as a as a career but as an athlete you know as, as a young black girl who did sports you were more pushed towards sprinting rather than swimming for example I think like a lot of cultures 
our parents or those around us probably look and see that there isn't many young black girls in the same way there isn't many Asian players. And not that they're deterring their children from it, but they're trying to protect their children from a situation that may not be welcoming to them. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar to journalism. I don't think like sports journalism, when I started, several members of my family were like, what are you doing? You know, mm. who who are you going to be? Because there's there's Sir Trevor and there what there was Moira Stewart, but that was it. You know, you watched any other sport, and unless you were on the pitch or the track, you weren't an example. But Anne Marie's right. I think that's definitely a an answer that we could sit here for a week and not come up with um, with a, a complete answer. But I do think that football in general has a problem with cultures that they aren't as knowledgeable about Mm. whether that's um people who are from different nationalities or different races i spoke to um i think it was fern whelan i was speaking to not long ago and she was saying where she is now and that there's no black hairdressers you know things like that things like food we don't know about other people's worlds i think in women's football it's it is behind men's in terms of its awareness of the world although it is ahead of it in some ways, but I definitely think culturally it's, it's a bit behind. And the England situation, which we, we all know about, we, we all followed, I think would have deterred even more people that were interested. But I, I will say one thing, I've got friends who play, who's, who have kids that play football, and I'm noticing a lot of young girls, not just young girls, young black girls, young Asian girls, young Muslim girls, who are now getting into the game. So I hope that the next generation is a bit more um, relevant than we are, I guess, in the game. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously you're talking about um, the the Mark Sampson um, incident, uh, particularly with the England lionesses. Um, Pippa, like staying with women's football, um, but kind of moving away from the pitch and towards the press box. You know, like me, you kind of work on both sides, particularly with Arsenal, Arsenal men, Arsenal women. Do you think that women's football, from a journalism standpoint? feels more inclusive because like Natasha said like on the gender side obviously it, it is by design um, we know there are lots of gay players for example and, and a lot of them are out and it's, it seems to be much more acceptable in that respect but from your point of view do you think working on kind of both sides that women's football feels more inclusive or is there still or is there not or are there not many many differences um, I'm not I just it does feel a, a tiny bit more inclusive I mean Honestly, I still feel like I'm in mo. If I don't see Amari at a game to me, for, for an instance, I feel like I'm one of the only black people in uh, the press box. But in terms of the, the equal balance of men and women in women's games, definitely, it's, there's, in a journalism's point of view, it is a bit more inclusive. But I don't know. I don't know how that moves forward. As Natasha was saying, how do you get more people into that type of industry? It doesn't look like a welcoming industry for someone for a young black female at the moment I think it does slowly but it's not um it's not something you look at and think oh I could do that you know Mm. so I'm not sure yeah yeah it's yeah like it's it's quite um it's still quite white it looks to me um certainly in 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 press boxes yeah and obviously um you know I, I contribute to that I guess um, and I, I guess like switching back to on the pitch, Anne-Marie, the, the other thing I just wanted to touch on like quite briefly is something they've been doing WSL, Premier League and all across um, football since the summer is the taking of the knee before kickoff. 
which was initially express explicitly in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, they changed some of the language, the Premier League and the other leagues changed some of the language around that um, at the beginning of this season. Does that to you have any value um, beyond the symbolic um, gesture? And, and I, I guess, how did you feel when you first saw it? And do you think it still has a value or do you think it's lost its value through repetition? The first time I saw it, uh, I felt pretty emotional about it. Just the silence that echoed around the stadium as everyone took to the knee for those first few games. And then it started to feel like, you know, what now, what's next? Mm. You can only take it so far. And I think Les Ferdinand and QPR were 100% right in terms of that press release and explaining why. And I think it was absolutely right for transparency and honesty to explain why they were no longer taking the knee. And I agree with every single word that was put in that press release because it, it started to feel like a bit of a, a lacklustre gesture. And it had its impact. It, it sent the message home in those early days, but it's a case of what next. And what I've noticed, it's over the last few months or so, it's no longer acceptable just to say something and, no, and not follow up with action mm. because you'll get called out about it. Um, and that's the one good thing that social media has done is called people out. And I think now it's a case of as crowds are now starting to return, I know that's not the case in some like in tier three areas right now, some crowds are starting to come back. At some point, full allocation will return. And the decision will have to be made if, if taking the knee continues. And I'm to, let's talk about Premier League clubs and, and championship and as well. Because I think then is the question of what do we do? Do we keep doing it? If we do, we have to accept that some parts of the crowd are not going to like it. Mm. Not going to like it. And we need to be truthful and honest with ourselves about that. Others may clap it. We're probably going to get some boos and some abuse for it. If they don't do it, if the teams don't do it, what is going to be in its place? And I think they're the two questions that clubs and the Premier League and maybe even the FA need to start talking about now. Because I think for the last few weeks or so, I think the the impact of, of Black Lives Matter and the messaging around that has been has been slightly, I don't want to say diluted, but the intensity isn't as there as it was. And I think as we start to return, uh, as crowds start to return, I think need to start ramp up that intensity again. So I th it's, as I said, powerful, symbolic. It was the right time, I think, to, for you know certain clubs, because I know QPR is not the only one. I think Lincoln City is another, another one. I think Middlesbrough is another one that no longer take the knee. Premier League clubs still do. At some point, someone's going to have to make a decision. Otherwise, it starts to become meaningless, and that was not the point. And that's not what we want either. So, yeah. And Natasha, uh, that kind of moves, moves, quite on, moves us on quite nicely, actually, to something I, I really wanted to surface in this, com in this conversation as well, is since the summer and the, the kind of the high-profile Black Lives Matter movement and the murder of George Floyd um, and things like that, obviously, I, I mean, to me, it looks like it's changed some of the conversation. Um, but I guess what I want to get a sense of is do you think it's meaningfully changed things in terms of action? Short answer would be no. <clears throat> I'll, I'll, I'll be 100% honest. Um, it's increased the conversation. It's um, maybe changed 
the topics that are being discussed. Uh, personally, I was very quiet about a lot of what was going on this summer. And that was a conscious decision because for 10 years I've been loud. I've been saying these things my whole career. I've been accused of having a chip on my shoulder and get over it. And it, it, it's not really, you know, made to feel like I'm the problem. So I deliberately took a back seat to see what others were saying and, and let others have their voices heard. I, I agree with Anne-Marie in that the first time seeing plays take the knee, it, it felt really poignant. Um, and I love the fact that we now live in a world where players like Sterling, like Rashford, and someone like Jordan Henderson are very vocal about these issues. 20 years ago, they were scared to be vocal. They, they, they felt like they couldn't talk about these things. So I think that's one real positive for me. But I, I, I don't think much has is, is changed. It's, it's all about action for me. It's, it's great to say, I see the press releases, I, I see the statements. And, but I've been seeing these press releases and statements for the past decade. And then I've been going into newsrooms and nothing has changed. Or, you know, you, something happens and you see journalists talking about it for that week or using it to, there's certain journalists who I, who I don't really like because they're using it to further their career by suddenly being the voice about it. And I, I want you to have empathy. I want people to be allies in this fight because to me, you know, I just want you to be on the right side of the battle, on the right side of history but you need to let those who experience it talk and you need to not tell them how to feel about things that I, I feel the FA, I mean, we, we could be here all day, but someone like Les Ferdinand, who has been at the forefront of this conversation for years, he needs to be leading these conversations. People like Troy Townsend, people like Darren Lewis, people like Rodney Hines, Ian Wright, they need to lead these conversations, not some male pal style guy who, who's grown up with privilege, who, no disrespect, doesn't know what it feels like. Nothing has changed. The pictures look great. The statements look great. But we still have a long way to go. And I think if, if we pretend that we don't, then we're, we're just in denial. And, and that's, um, yeah, again, that's 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 really powerful um and you know i i guess quite upsetting really the the idea that that things haven't really changed beyond um the surface level um pippa a, a question i wanted to ask you and actually it's kind of my closing question and and everyone can have a nibble at it if they like one of the things i'm kind of struck by as um a man covering women's football um you know i i think in terms of coverage of women's football, women's football journalists, gender-wise, there is more of a balance. Um, and so one of the things I'm kind of struck by being surrounded by um, these kind of great women in press boxes is how much, particularly women, um, from what I see anyway, like really like feel a sense of solidarity and, and try to lift each other up and, and really like complement one another's work, particularly because they work cross publications. And it's, it's something I you know, that, that really, really strikes me. Do you feel that there is a similar community or sense of solidarity amongst black women um, in the industry? Do you feel like there's a real like community there to draw on? Or do, or do you feel that even there perhaps isn't even enough representation enough yet to feel that? 
Um, well, for me personally, there's definitely a community where we, us three are in a, in a community ourselves. There's, there's lots of group chats and a community of people that have worked together, as you said, cross paths um, and just support each other really in, in all the work that they do across all different sports. So there's a community there. It may not be known to the public, but a lot of these black women working in the industry know each other, know each other very well. Um, and they've seen each other's journey from the start and they do support each other as far as I'm aware. Anne-Marie, what, what about you? Do you feel like there's a real kind of sense of, of that sense of community and explicitly looking to kind of lift one another up and support and, and, and mentorship, I guess? Yeah, very much so. You know, it's, you know, for me, it's always a joy seeing Pippa. It's always a joy seeing Natasha. We talk to each other, you know, over WhatsApp or, you know, we'll say it, we'll talk over over social media. If we see each other in person, it's always good to catch up. I'm, I'd like to think that I'm somebody who will always support my fellow women, my fellow black women in terms of their journey. What is sometimes quite stark though, is that if, you know, if one black woman is employed in a job for certain organizations and that organization's tick to box and they won't look at anybody else, but we are sensible enough and strong enough to understand we believe in our own abilities and we're not in competition with each other because mm-hmm. we're all qualified we're all knowledgeable we're all skilled so we don't play that game of trying to you know play off each other at all because we all support each other so I think there's that side of it and I think we need to be you know I love that I love the fact that you know there will be companies out there who will try and and you know pit one person against another person and that's not like and we're you know we're too sensible for that kind of nonsense we don't engage in that because we all believe in our abilities and support each other so I love the fact that there's there's a community of us. And I love the fact that we that we have that space. So when we want to go and rant about a particular producer, we can do that because we, they, you know, uh, people will understand it. Natasha will understand it. Various others will understand it. So, um, and that brings me a lot of joy because I, you know, this it can be a lonely journey. This can be an isolating journey. And sometimes when you question yourself, when you haven't, been selected for a particular job you want to ask somebody is it because of x y and z and they'll tell you don't be stupid it's because you know because of some silly reason um and you go okay fine and then you go back you get back on the horse again so i I love that that sense of community and i'm really proud of being part of that community as well because i think i would have struggled at times without it particularly over the last few months or so when you're sat at home on your own and you're wondering what's going on in the industry it's been you know those last few months or so it's been a little bit tough, but I'm thankful to be part of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Natasha, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have the, worst, the, the last word on that, um, whether you, know, you feel that sense of explicit kind of solidarity and, and community amongst black women in the industry. Um, 100%. I, I can't echo enough what, what Pippa and Anne-Marie said. I think one thing that, I, that I've really, what I really love is how we amplify each other's work. You know, if one of us is doing something and it's a new video or someone gets a new job, we all we all understand. We want we want we want to celebrate each other first and foremost. But we also understand that that validation is really important for someone to say to you, good job, well done, because I think males in general are always really arrogant about what they do they're always really quick to put out their achievements I think women as a rule we don't do that we we tend to be more humble and I know our group in particular anytime one of us needs anything or needs something sharing or or does a new piece of work we're we're each other's biggest fans and I, I don't think 
anyone can underestimate the importance of having a really good network in this industry. If you're a minority in this industry, your network can literally give you life and get you through it. And I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of that. I think that's, um, I, I mean, I wasn't necessarily looking for like a positive end to the podcast because I think that's, that's a little bit, um, you know, that, that's, that's downplaying things too much. But I, I do think that's a really nice um, note to end, um, end this, this conversation. And I just want to thank all three of you for, uh, you know, for coming to this and, and being so frank and open and honest um, about your experiences and, and how you see things. And um, Pippa and I would love to have you back on the podcast to talk about actual football uh, at some point in the near future. So Natasha, thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. It's been great. Anne-Marie, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Pippa. Cheers, Dilberto. And Pippa, as always, uh, thank you for your insights um, as ever. And yeah, we'll knock out another one of these soon. And, and again, maybe talk about actual football. <laughs> yes, can't wait for that. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you all guys. And, um, you know, to everyone listening um, at home or walking your dog or wherever you listen to these things, I, I really hope that you found that, um, that, you found that valuable. Um, we, we didn't necessarily want to create shock value per se. We, we wanted to have um, an open and honest uh, discussion um, about this subject because it's really important. And uh, I hope, well, I know our guests did it justice. I hope I did it justice as well. Um, and that you enjoyed it and that mainly you really took something from it so until next time thank you so much for joining us and we'll be back with another Arsenal Women Arsecast in the next few weeks Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.